This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hey everyone, this is Jen Cates with Making Shift Happen. Today I'm so excited because I have my first interview and it is with a friend of mine um, who I was looking forward to getting to know a little bit more, (laughs) but then COVID hit and pandemic happened. So we weren't really able to do as much biking together or whatnot. But today's topic is going to be all about inclusivity with the cycling industry and in particular mountain biking, but it does also include road biking, gravel biking, and really any type of two-wheeled adventure. Now, inclusivity in the sport is incredibly important to me. And um, I, however, if for those of you who don't know me, I'm a white lady and I it is not my specialty to talk about this. So I'm bringing on a friend of mine today who knows this all too well just from experience, herself and her life. And her name is Brooke Gabby. So I wanna go ahead and give her the floor to allow her a moment to introduce herself so you all know who the heck she is. Brooke, tell us about yourself. Oh, well, thanks, Jen. Um, I am, um, I have a nine to five, but after that is done, uh, my whole life is about introducing the joy of mountain biking to women of color, uh, especially black women. As a co-leader of Black Girls Do Bike Denver, I concentrate on figuring out ways uh, to get Black women on mountain bikes because I think we both know that when you get women on bikes, they're going to love it. (laughs) And I just want to be able to introduce that to them. And also, it is very important to me that this community that I love, this community that I belong to and I'm a part of, is a community that is inclusive, diverse, and um, that holds up the value of equity. And so I want to make sure that I can continue to cultivate a culture of um, inclusivity and um, advocate for this community to look a little bit more diverse, have a little bit more people that look like me. (laughs) (laughs) We need some more men in there. Let them know that I am black. <laughs> I am a black woman. Um, <laughs> For those of you wondering, yes. <laughs> I know it's hard when you just have voice. Now, of course, Brooke and I, we can see each other because we're on video with one another. Um, and, you know, one thing about Brooke is the moment that I met her, <laughs> we were <laughs> we were actually doing some trail work at Ruby Hill here in Denver. And it was my first time meeting Brooke. I hadn't laughed that hard in a long time because uh, at the time, you know, Brooke, you didn't, you weren't driving really uh, because that was your choice, you know, but you were in charge of driving the golf cart (laughs) (laughs) that we were, that we were using to tamp down the trails at this bike park. And I was cracking up. Um, and ever since then, I was just thinking, oh, man, Brooke, you were definitely someone I want in my life just because <laughs> it was so easy to laugh my ass off around you. Yes. <laughs> and um, but yeah, so just so everyone knows how Brooke and I met, it was very happenstance and it was during some trail building event locally here in, in Denver. And, you know, just goes to show you how much Brooke does want to give back to the community just with volunteering and, and things like that. So I love hearing about your Black Girls Do Bike Involvement. I want to definitely learn more about that, which we will certainly talk about. So I'm curious, though, how did you get into cycling? You know, I have been cycling since I was a kid. I really um, love to get on my bike. I remember like just rushing home from school, rushing through my homework and getting on my bike and just I don't know, terrorizing the neighborhood. No, I was <laughs> not terrorizing, of course, but, you know, riding my bike <laughs> along the sidewalk, stopping to check in with neighbors to see if I could get a treat here or there, um, you know, go, <laughs> going down in the neighborhood ditches. Just, just, I, I love <laughs> being on a bike. 
I, I have to admit that I lost that for a little bit um, as I became an adult. Um, but when I got back on the bike, that magic came back. The magic of just experiencing the joy of being on a bike, uh, feeling like you're on adventure, feeling like you don't want this journey to end, came back immediately. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I feel like a lot of uh, folks on the bike now as adults have gone through that period of time where, yeah, we started off as kids and things like that. And then maybe we took like a little bit of time off and then we got back into it. And then we're wondering why the heck did I take that gap? Whether it was like during college or grad school or whatever. Um, But now that you're back into it, you're so stoked to be in it. Well, I'm so glad you're back in cycling. Now, why do you love cycling? I know for me, it's just the feeling of of feeling free. And there's something very joyful about being on a bike, but what is it for you? For me, it's all those things that I um, talked about when I discussed about being a kid and and that type of joy, that very raw, uh, just want to be on an adventure, just want to explore. But there has, as I've committed to racing and training for big events, there has been this greater thing that has kept me going. And that is just the physical challenge and the the mental and spiritual and physical all involved in one challenge that you have when you get on your bike. And it keeps you wanting to get on every day because you want that challenge. You feel like that bike has challenged you. You're like, what? I, don't talk to me like that. I am taking you up this mountain and you better treat me good. And I just yeah. really, really excited about accepting that challenge every single day almost. I love getting on my bike because it's like I am accepting a challenge every day that I get on it. Nice. And it's like once you finish that challenge, boom, you 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 know that anything is possible. Anything's possible. And I just really think I feel like you accept the challenge, but along the way, there's all of these other things that you kind of grapple with. And it's these things, uh, it's a thing of like, maybe you want to go longer, but you couldn't that day. Like, I will be able to go longer. You you, you say that to yourself. That is like the huge yeah. challenge, right? Like, how far can I go? And you say to yourself, and, and that's the physical challenge, right? But then there are these spiritual ones where you're like, I will be silent and still and take a moment to look around me and be able to really respect and feel the beauty of this great outdoors. Like, holy moly, I can't believe that I was able to see this scene. (laughs) Um, One that you can't arrive to by car, one that you can only arrive to by bike or by foot. And so that's very that's a very spiritual moment for me, as well as this mental one. I don't know if this ha- has ever happened to you, Jen, but I have bad days and I like enter the depths of bike despair where I am like, oh my gosh, why can't I be good today? I'm never going to be good ever again. I'm, yeah. I'm such a horrible athlete. And it just almost kind of consumes you. And it t- tends to consume athletes. Mm-hmm. I hear other women like myself talk about this, like, oh, I had such a horrible day and just can't get over it. And I have been learning to separate that and understand that that's not, not let these things consume me, that that's a part, that's a part of me that feels that and I acknowledge it, but there's other parts of me that are, that see how resilient I am, see how many days that, how long it took me to go from riding 20 miles to 70 miles. I can get better. (laughs) Even though I have bad days, I can get better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that you said that there's like an act of resilience here because there is that moment where we can acknowledge where we are right now, but it's really important to acknowledge where we were, you know? And I think sometimes we get blinded by that especially when we are training for a big event, especially for you. And I want to talk about this big event that you're training for (laughs) here in a moment because it's huge. But, um, you know, sometimes it can get a little bit, a little bit daunting when you look at like the big thing that you're training for. And then, and then you kind of look at where you are right now. And sometimes we're just as humans, we have that tendency to really look 
too much in our past and kind of place too much emphasis on our past. But sometimes we need to look at our past to just compare with where we are right now, you know, and, and those advancements that we've made and just seeing how resilient we are because, man, some of the ugliest stuff in life and some of the most beautiful stuff in life can come up on the bike, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's exactly that part I'm talking about, that challenge, yeah. right? Some, yeah. of, some of the parts of you, you're like, wow, I can't believe I got there. But yeah. you know, we, we worked through it. We worked through it on that bike, on the oh, way yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, and that's why it's so cool, you know, even if you're on a solo ride or if you're on a ride with friends, it doesn't really matter you know, because you'll always have that, that realization at some point, I feel like, especially if like weather goes sideways or something like that. (laughs) Now, um, I am curious, speaking of like challenges. So what types of challenges have you personally experienced as a cyclist? To be quite vulnerable and honest with you as, um, as a mountain biking athlete, it has always been a struggle for me to see myself as part of the community. I almost take to convincing myself. Uh, if you look back at any of my work, whether that's blogs, quotes, interviews, I talk about being that this is my community. I make it, I, I, I say it often, and I think I say it often uh, because I want to believe it, even though I struggle with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I have one of the hardest things is feeling like I belong in this community because I don't see myself represented very often. And I see people who, um, you know, sometimes make deliberate and not so deliberate actions to make me feel to deepen that feeling of not belonging. And that's a real struggle for me. And that to me is so tragic. Yes. Yeah. And that's tragic because sometimes I wonder if these people realize that they're doing it. Like you said, it's either intentional or not. And, you know, unintentional, sure, I can understand. But if it's intentional, it's very difficult for me to understand those individuals as a white person um, and really just as a human that has a heart. It's very, it's very difficult for me to understand how you get to that point, other than, you know, possibly being raised with hate or, or some, some magnitude of like hate being present in your family or in your life could also be, you know, in your chosen family with friends too. So I I certainly don't want to chalk it up to family, but that's, that's unfortunate. You know, I know personally, like I haven't obviously experienced that as a white person, (laughs) You know, I have certainly experienced that because for those of you who are listening to podcasts that may not know me personally, I am married to a woman. I don't like to label myself as anything, though. You know, I'm I'm just I love whoever I want to love. You know, I'm very open and fluid with that. But but the thing with that is my skin is still white, so no one can really. People see me as just a, a white person, whereas for you, you can't really put who you are away, you know, whereas for me, my sexuality isn't really necessarily worn on my skin, if that makes sense. So I think sometimes that doesn't dawn on people, you know, that. But I do have to say that as a woman in general, coming into the mountain biking community, that Mm -hmm. there has been ways in which there have been people in this community who have not necessarily accepted that. (laughs) <laughs> and they have um, not made it a safe space for women because of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that your being a woman is the same as me being black. Because yeah. I've got lots to say about that. I, I, I really yeah. think that, um, you know, I, I, I get, un- and, and just to get into some of that uncomfortableness. Heck yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm here I'm for it. I to disagree here, but I really do feel that sometimes that there is this, well, let's let white, white women get in there first. And white women are like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're working on it. And, and they're kind of shouting to us black folks in the back, say, we're working on it. We're trying to get in there. Let us get in there first. And then we'll come back to you. And then they yeah. may or may not come back for us. So, 
<laughs> you know, they, they, yeah. um, it was hard work for us to get in there ourselves and we're tired now. Um, so mm -hmm. I really, I, I know that it's hard work for um, lots of marginalized groups to enter the mountain biking community. It is, it, it is a tough community. <laughs> Um, but I have faith yes, that yeah. there are enough people in the community who are interested in growing the community and making sure that it's a safe space for all people. That excites oh, yeah. me. That gives I, me I agree. Yeah, and that I'm glad because I know it gives me hope, but sometimes I'm like, am I just disillusioned? Am I, am I, am I delusional? You know, <laughs> because I tend to be fairly positive. And optimistic when it comes to certain things, but I but I really truly do believe in that because I know for for those of you listening, you know Brooke and I are on this Vita Impact Committee, which I certainly want Brooke to talk about because she's in charge of it. She's one of the the co leaders with this group, and it's really cool because it is with the Vita Mountain Bike Series. So check them out online, Vita V I D A M T B um, series. Uh, I think it's VitaMTB.com, actually. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. I should know this. Uh, don't kill me, Sarah. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sarah Raleigh, who, who runs it. But with the Vita Impact Committee, you know, we have some BIPOC leaders who are at the forefront of it. And, you know, I want you to just take a moment to talk about that because I feel like our work in the last few months, really just kind of diving in and figuring out our voice and figuring out how we want to approach inclusivity when it comes to Vita Mountain Biking Series, but also the community as a whole, there's been a lot of awesome conversations and you all make it such a safe space for us, you know, and by us, I mean, you know, the non-BIPOC leaders, but we want to reverse that. Like we want everyone to feel safe. And that's kind of the whole goal with, with the Vita Impact Committee. So go ahead and take a, a moment to kind of talk about what you want to get out of that impact committee. Well, I would advise uh, anybody who wants to know the whole story, there is not enough time here of how the Vita uh, <laughs> Impact Committee got formed. They need to go over to Vita's website and read about that. It should be up soon. It's under construction, but it should be up soon. And it is a beautiful, wonderful, heartwarming story about how four BIPOC women who have been riding mountain bikes for quite a little bit felt like the community was not the safest space for us. And instead of walking away, we decided to do something about it because all four of these uh, amazing um, women, Black, Indigenous, Latinx, uh, we got together and we are strong, powerful voices. And we decided to use those voices to make sure that spaces in which we are entering were going to be safe, not only for us, but for other women of color. And we wanted to make sure in this uh, organization, in which I love, Vita Mount Biking Series, we wanted to make sure that if, and, and we understand, we underst it is not our call to bring more um, Black, Latinx women to Vita. That is not <laughs> one of our main mission. It is that when that woman shows up, that she feels like it is a safe space, uh, whether that's through the language we're using, whether that's through the initiatives that we are um, that we are a part of, uh, that whether that's through forward facing, what does our website look like? Does it look inviting to women of color? And so we just want to make sure that we can create that space, and it's wonderful. I love it. And Jen, you're a member of it, and so you know that this is the real deal. I wish that someone could come in there with a video camera. It probably would be less vulnerable if they did, but it <laughs> tears, it is the mm -hmm. courageous talk, it is hugging cactuses, it is dancing in the room with big elephants, it is all of those things. And it happens once a month and uh, we are doing great things, but we have had to tear down uh, some of the things we've learned and learn new things and unlearn other things. And we have been um, not afraid to do so. We, we welcome, at this point, we've had so much discomfort, we welcome it. 
<laughs> and we work with because we know it's, it's only, true. It's only going to make the organization that we're part of and that we love so much a better organization. It's so true, you know, and, and I love our conversations that we have in there. It is such a safe space. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a ton of the, like, it makes me realize how safe that space is. It makes me realize that, you know, I have that space with a lot of my, my clients and my team and things like that, that I work with, you know, with our private Facebook groups and, and things like that. And just kind of one-off conversations, but I don't know. It's like, I'm kind of addicted to that, you know, safe space conversations that we have every month where I'm like, Oh man, how do we get that more often? You know, like this pandemic needs to just, just finish up so we can actually interact a little bit more in person. But yeah, like, like Brooke said, you know, check out the Vita um, website. They will be doing a formal announcement, I believe the week after this podcast is published. So stay tuned for that. Um, because it is, you know, February is Black History Month, and we were really trying to get something out, not so for so much because of the actual month, I don't think, but just because it's time. You know, it's time to really have these conversations and it's time to make the community a safer place. And, you know, this is kind of Vita's way and your way, the group's way to help make that happen and hopefully help help kind of lead the charge on that. So I am curious, you know, here because I think a lot of folks, given how this past summer went with the social just you know, the protests, of whether they're peaceful or not, that's not the point here. Something needed to be said. Something happened in our, in our world and something needed to be said because too many lives are being lost. Too many black lives are being lost, especially. And I think a lot of folks immediately go to, well, I'm not racist. Or they jump to that. Well, I'm not racist. I don't see someone for their color. I'm colorblind, you know, fill in all the blanks, right? And a lot of folks want to identify with being anti-racist. However, what I know a lot of us are seeing is they're identifying as anti-racist, but maybe their actions aren't necessarily in alignment with being anti-racist. So in a nutshell, how do you think, especially in the cycling community, for folks who are identifying or really truly want to identify as anti-racist allies, you know, what values do you think they should exhibit for the community? Um, first, I just want to go back to something you were talking about before. I, I am not a racist. <laughs> this yeah. I am not a racist idea. Man, that's yeah. unpacked with so many things that we can unpack. But there is yes, one idea yes. that I've been circling around in my head, and this and this this idea of that. Yes, you might not be races, but we live in a society where white supremacy permeates everything. <laughs> and your mm-hmm. thoughts, your ideas, my thoughts, my ideas as a black woman. <laughs> and that you might not see yourself as a racist, any particular person at any particular time, but there is the possibility to perpetuate racism, <laughs> even without being yes, a racist. Yes. It is possible to find yourself in racist situations or see things that are racist um, without having to without having to label yourself a racist. And so um, I just really think it's important that instead of everyone getting so defensive about whether they're racist or not, it's really important to um, examine the larger idea of how does white supremacy find itself here? How does it find itself in mountain biking? How does it find itself in um, where a person lives, the value of life, the healthcare system? And particularly here, we're talking about mountain biking. And so I, I, I think that's one of the biggest parts that's so hard for nearly all the organizations I work for, and even some that's once for me as an athlete, just to be quite honest with you, is uh, acknowledgement. To publicly be able to acknowledge that even here in the mountain biking community, that white supremacy has an effect, that it is here, <laughs> it exists, and, um, and that it has 
denied black folks, indigenous folks, uh, Latinx folks, opportunities that white folks have had for years. It has denied them um, a ticket in the room, <laughs> to even get in the room, mm-hmm. uh, to sit at the table, and uh, to be able to feel, and for a long time, even if you were there, whether you felt comfortable or not being in the room. <laughs> and so I think one of the biggest things that you could do is to get in the conversation and to stop this conversation of, well, we're just, this is just about cycling. We're just going outside to bike. Racism doesn't exist here. Racism, this isn't a place to yeah. talk about that. Let's stop that. Let's number one, acknowledge. And then let's figure out where in our community can we support inclusion? Right? Why are, if, if you, and, and then if you don't, black cyclists exist. <laughs> if you don't see yeah, them, do. I, I, want, I want white people to know that if they don't see black cyclists, it's because they are not allowing themselves to be in spaces to see black cyclists, that they're not allowing themselves to be engaged with voices that are different than their own. I see, Jen Kate, that you follow a lot of black cyclists on Instagram. Well, I wouldn't say a lot. That's an exaggeration, right? We know there's not nearly as many. Yeah, maybe not a lot. But, you know, who dominate yeah. the sport, right? <laughs> but we get to listen to black voices often. And it's sometimes yeah. earth shattering, right? Some of the things that we get to hear. Um, and then not only mm-hmm. one thing I love about Instagram is not only do, and, and here's another great way. Um, as I like talk to the audiences, that we not only get to um, listen to black voices on social media, but then we get to uplift them by resharing them or by commenting on them. Mm-hmm. And it is such a great space to be able to uplift a black man's voice or a black woman's voice, especially in this sport. Yeah, it's such a white dominated sport, you know, between that and especially triathlon, but I'm not a triathlete, so I'm not going to speak to that. <laughs> um, but my neighbor is, my neighbor's like an Ironman athlete, she and her husband, and um, and we've we talked about it, because um, they're both, you know, uh, Latin, and mm-hmm. it's one of those situations where, you know, we've had those vulnerable conversations with one another over beer, like, wow, what is up with our sport, you know, and how do we what is it, what would it look like if it was just a little bit different? But the big thing is, yeah, acknowledging that white supremacy, that those two words probably make the listeners feel uncomfortable and that's okay. They sure as hell made me feel uncomfortable at first. Um, You know, when I really first started to kind of dive in, I was like, oh, white supremacy, white fragility. That one really got me, (laughs) you know, like that, that made me feel so (laughs) uncomfortable when I learned about it. I'll be honest. And even all the scary words, (laughs) it is, but might as well. That's why we're doing this. You know, I feel like, I feel like having a little bit of this uncomfortable conversation and just seeing, and hopefully having listeners see how, how easy it is just for two people to to just have this conversation. You know, I think hopefully that will open up their idea of possibly having this conversation with their friends and maybe even hopefully diversify their feeds and diversify by their friend groups and just 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 get a sliver of sunlight into a place in their life that maybe they haven't I they haven't shed light on you know yes. I want to help us I really want you to be the flashlight that was you know the whole purpose with having this conversation is to be the flashlight to kind of shine in on these dark corners that maybe people aren't addressing because it, it makes them uncomfortable and these oh, are absolutely. words that, yeah but that's the cool thing is in discomfort that's where growth happens. And I think that that's where like, that's where you can really help advance your neighbors and, and, and lift each other up. Like what you were saying earlier. I love that so much. So, you know, for me, I will say like, here's the other thing. I know I'm just going to go ahead and jump in real quick with a sentence or two. I think it's really important for, you know, non BIPOC individuals to not be scared to call people out should they see racism in any form whether it's prejudice that's the big thing that I I see in the white circles and even for myself 
was, you know, well, no, I'm prejudiced. I'm not racist. I have prejudgments about people, but I'm not necessarily racist. Whatever you want to call it. I think it's really important to call people out on that should you see that, especially in the community and especially in your friend group or what have you. And I think sometimes people don't want to call out others because, yeah, there's a natural fear there. But then there's also a fear of being called like a virtue signaler or woke or, you know, like, oh, you think you're better than me because you're calling out something that's maybe not quite sitting right. You know, you're calling out the white supremacy and and things like that. And I just want to let the listeners know that it's okay. I think that that's one of the biggest steps that you can take is besides educating yourself and learning a little bit more about like white supremacy and just how whitewashed history is in schools and things like that. You know, I think it's really important just not to be scared to be called (laughs) a virtue signaler, signaler or woke. You know, I am hereby empowering everyone who is white listening to this. Please call out something that you that you see that's not right. You know, because I feel like that that will help maybe cause that person who said something hateful, pause. You might not change their mind and that's fine, but pause, you know, give them pause and let them know that it's not okay to be like that in this space, especially in cycling. And um, sorry to interrupt there, Jen. No, do it, do it. Well, I also wanted to say sometimes it's not calling someone out isn't really mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. about the person who's getting called out, especially online. I mean, <clears throat> I know that you, we had a similar situation um, where I wrote a Facebook message and underneath it, I think someone commented negatively because it did have to do with race. And I just saw you jump in there and kind of put the dukes up in a very, in, mm-hmm. in this very, in this way that you do, that is great. <laughs> um, but try to be. <laughs> yeah, you 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 um, were successful at like really being able to not feed the troll, but make a statement so that everyone else around could see. Uh, and I was yeah. one of those people who was able to see. And so I I I want to see more of that. I was just on a committee the other day where a lady referred to it as um, love bombs. Like what I we talked about what can we do in the mountain biking community? Did you go to some of these articles on Bike Magazine or um and and you start reading the comments and you're just don't like, read the comments. <laughs> I know, I know. I go back to yeah. comments on some of the articles that have been written by me and I'm I just like nearly want to cry. But Oh um, god, really? Oh yeah, god. and I okay. and I feel like um I like this lady's idea that she came up with. This woman said, Let's just start dropping love bombs because instead of being a troll, let's go to these articles and say, thank you for sharing your experience with me. Thank you for showing me a new perspective. Thank you for allowing our community to hear these words. And I really love it. I love it. And that's what I got to see you do that one day is that you just dropped a little love bomb on top of all of those other like asshole bombs. You dropped some love bombs. (laughs) And, and, and And it wasn't for the troll. Maybe it was from your perspective, but in the end, it was for me. And when, and I think the same when you're in a room or you're sitting at a table, maybe you're not going to change someone's mind, but in the end, it's for maybe that other white person who's sitting at the table is like, wow, I can't believe she just stood up like that. I can't believe... I can do it now. <laughs> like her voice yes. was shaky, but but she did it. Like I feel really good. And then it becomes a norm. It becomes acceptable. The people mm-hmm. at the 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 less we the more we allow this to happen, one person to be the jerk, right? And to make comments that are unacceptable and no one to say it because they're scared, the more that becomes the norm that a guy can be a yeah. jerk. And the more we say things, no matter what they have to say back to us, then that becomes a norm. Standing up, not allowing someone to say things like that or treat anyone uh, horribly or to continue to marginalize people. No way. We don't stand for that. And that's what I want our community to be. And that's what I'm working really hard at is normalizing that this can be a safe space. (laughs) Yep. And you can see people 
who look like you, you know, and like how, I don't know, how like empowering could that be? But I love that idea of love, love bombs because I think it is important to have love and compassion and empathy really help dilute the hate that's out there right now. You know, I mean, we can't obviously get rid of the hate, but I think any type of dilution that we can possibly do, I think in the long term could be really good for the support, you know, the sport rather, and, and just people's like mental health and, and just their overall health in regards to like cycling and things like that. So I love that. Okay. So everyone listening, take that to note, take that to heart, love bombs, leave some love, love bombs. bombs if you can. Yeah. <laughs> It'll help drown That's out some of I have to give credit to, I can't remember her name, uh, but she, she, you know, she is, um, launched the, it's not, Bike magazine. What is the new magazine that just launched recently? Beta, I think. Beta, Beta. MTB. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Someone from Beta who, who, um, I'll have to get that name for you. We'll have to put it down somewhere. Yeah. I'll put it down in the show notes if we can get it. Yes. Yeah. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, so tell me and tell our listeners a little bit more about Black Girls Do Bike. So how did it start? You know, you know, it is a national group. I'll tell you how the Denver chapter started because it's a great story. Yes. The founder of Black Girls Do Bike Denver is a lady named Stephanie, and she's the first black woman to complete the Trans Am to shove all the way across the United States. Um, <coughs> excuse me, let me clear my throat there. And she came back and she just was really excited about introducing that joy of um, cycling to women of color and being surrounded by women of color. And so she started this Black Girls Do Bike Denver chapter. And I have been a member of that. And during the pandemic, I was really excited about, about getting more women on bikes. Biking was getting popular. More people were buying bikes. More people were coming to the um, website to ride bikes. And I just was someone who was just always there. And so she invited me to co-lead the group with herself and another leader named Crystal. So there's three of us, Stephanie, Brooke, and Crystal, and we lead the Black Girls Do Bike Denver. And from there, so many opportunities. Uh, she is road cyclist, right? She's a touring cyclist. And for me, I was a mountain biker and I was like, yeah, we gotta get these ladies on mountain bikes. <laughs> How do we? Because <laughs> it's a mountain bike, and that has been my passion. Um, uh, as far as Black Girls Do Bike Denver is that this very, this this very particular thing <laughs> that works for me, and that is mountain biking. That's awesome, and yeah, I saw that you did some clinics with. Vita Mountain Bike Series. You yes. know, they helped uh, host some clinics with Black Girls Do Bike. And I know I was like, hey, Brooke, I want to I want to volunteer, you know, next time if it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I know, you know, I mean, look like you all, but I want to be a, I want to be a part of this because it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, is there plans for 2021 to do like some Absolutely. more clinics and things like that? Awesome. Absolutely. Um we both know and love Brittany Greer. She is, yes. uh, she is uh, my mentor and she is helping to teach me about the event planning process. Uh, she was leading women's events over at Comba and she was really able to bring that over to Black Girls Do Bike. Uh, one thing that I told her, and uh, this is so funny, our, our relationship is so close and, and, and full of so much love now. But early on, I one of the funniest things is that I was like, what? You want to come? You want your, your white self to come into this Black organization and teach what? And so, um, and, and I really just felt really uncomfortable with it. I really did not like the idea of a white organization, a white woman coming into a black organization and yeah. putting on these clinics. And I remember talking and what, and what really 
really shifted my thinking. I remember talking to a group of women. We were on a beginner ride from Black Girls to Bike. And they said, well, are you going to teach us how to ride mountain bikes? And I was like, well, I don't really have the expertise. I don't really have the expertise or coaching license to do that. Yet. And yet. Yet. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, after I left that ride, I thought, you know, we need leaders. We need black leaders. We need black coaches. We need black people who know how to put on events. And so I called that woman, Brittany Greer, and I said, you know, I, I know that I was a little bit against this, but I want you to teach me because I want my community to be able to have this. And I want you to teach me how to put on events. I want you to teach me how to find coaches. I want you to teach me how to find sponsors. I want you to teach me all the things so that I can be the leader of this, that I can come back to uh, this group that I think is so important. And I want them to see black coaches. I want them to see the leaders who are leading them as black women. And she said, absolutely, 100%. I will teach you everything that I know. And um, and that's what she's been doing. So last year, she taught me a lot and we got a lot off the ground uh, last year. And this year, Jen, we have clinics and I'm going to be the main person putting those on. Yes. <laughs> We're going to do two mountain Ah, That's so exciting. I know, right? I'm so excited about it. I, I'm also <laughs> going to be getting my coaching license. That's one of my goals so that hopefully by the next year, I will actually be leading these clinics as the coach as well. So we're doing two mountain biking clinics, which I'm really excited about. And we've got lots of great sponsors on board, WTB, Yeti, uh, ProZumi, people everywhere are coming to, to make sure that we get this done. And we're going to do two mechanic classes as well over at Evo. And we're super excited about the schedule. And I'm super excited that I'm, I'm, I'm stepping up. <laughs> yes, you are. I love it. Well, and you know, Britt, she has such a great heart and big heart and she just wanted, I think just to, you know, pass everything on to you. Like, Hey, like, here's the thing. Like, I'll go ahead. Like, I want to be a part of this. I mean, obviously, cause like Britt is a fantastic <laughs> coach. She's, I mean, by far, like, one of my favorite people anyways, but she's a great coach. Excellent coach. Yeah. Um, so I love how she just set you up because that is something I know that we see a lot is just these committees that are wanting to change the sport, but unfortunately they're led by white individuals. And I don't mean to say unfortunately, but I just think it's a little bit of a disservice because then again, you know, it's a white individual at the helm when it's really an organization that you know, should be led by BIPOC individuals or should be led by the individuals that are being marginalized, that they're trying to change. So, you know, I think that that's really important. It's really important for listeners to kind of recognize that when they are looking for groups that they're wanting to be a part of to help change, you know, cycling. Think about it and look at the groups and look at the committees that you're wanting to donate to or whatever and support and, and see is there leadership in the BIPOC population, you know, and if they're not, then question and see, well, what, well, how are they, how are they doing this? You know? So I know that's really important for you. Oh, so important for me. I think any organization that you're supporting, you should look, uh, even if it's emphasis is not on supporting diversity, inclusion, and equity, that you should be looking like who's in the room. Like, are there, did they make any space for anyone that's a woman is there any space at the table for women is there any space for uh at space at the table for a a person of color Uh, i i really look for those things Mm -hmm. it's really important oh yeah i was just going to ask how how people can find out about black girls do bike Okay. Um, yeah, they can just go. We have an Instagram page, and hopefully, we can get that link to the Instagram page out to. Oh yeah, I will. But yeah. if you search "Black Girls Do Bike Denver," you can find us there. And then, only if you identify as a woman can you join our Facebook group, which we try to make a safe space for women only. Um, and that's "Black Girls Do Bike Denver." Again, look for that. But if you want to just see what we're doing without joining, just Quick follow on our Instagram page. It's full of so many great <laughs> things. 
And we love uplifting um, our brothers and sisters' voices. And so you, by just following us, you will find so many other cyclists uh, to follow that are doing just really great things in this community. That's awesome. I, uh, well, what were you going to say, Brooke? Well, I wanted to tell you just one other thing. I know we've, um, we're closing it up here, and I just wanted to tell this, not really story, but the, my thoughts on representation. And I think I've said it a few times here, but I just wanted to just give it that last bang and, and say, I'm a coach at Boulder High School. I talked about that earlier, and I am the only black coach. And I coach a team of sophomore boys, and I and there is not one person of color on that team. But one of the most beautiful things for me about that experience for a person who advocacy work is usually working with cyclists, uh, who black cyclists, <laughs> to be working with these young men. One of the most beautiful things is, is I realized how important representation is for not just black folks, but for white folks too. I recognize that the boys that I'm coaching right now, they'll go, they will grow up to be men who will be the men who dominate and continue to dominate this sport. And when they see someone that looks like me out on the field and they're next to their friend or out on the trail, right? And they're next to your friend and their friend says, oh my God, a black person on a mountain bike? And they, <laughs> I've never seen that before. That young man who is being coached by me, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year can say, yeah, my coach was black and a woman. And that young man gets to see so, yeah. me as a leader, gets to see me as a coach, gets to see me as a shredder, gets to see me in all these many, many ways. Um, and he gets to normalize that for the people around him. Whether he never rides with another Black person again, he gets to normalize the idea of Black people ride. Black girls do ride. <laughs> they coach, they lead. Mm -hmm. And um, that that's important to me. That's why it's important to continue to have diversity in this sport. And we can't do that until we work on inclusionary practices and creating safe spaces. It's true. And just <laughs> being aware, being aware of kind of how we all play a part in that. Uh, Brooke, I love that. You know, it's such an interesting way to look at it and how it's normalizing it for, for the white the white folks in cycling too, uh, and, and empowering the next generation and everyone at, thereafter. And ah, yeah, I got I, I got a little a little bit of chills when you when you <laughs> said that earlier. So thank you for sharing that. Well, is there anything else that you want to add as we wrap up our little chitty chat? I don't think anything. Would come visit us at Black Girls Do Bike Denver on Instagram. Come visit us at Vita MTB Series. Um, I want to give lots of thanks to the people who help support me. And that is, um, of course, Yeti Cycles, um, WTB, and um, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Vita, of course. And <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah. with Pearl? And Pearl Izumi, yes. And absolutely, yeah. Pearl Izumi. So, Jen, thanks. You're a lifesaver. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You're good. Yeah. I, I try to pay attention. Plus, you get done with a hike. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. Right. I, this is so great. And, um, and thank you, Jen. Thanks for being brave enough to open up this conversation. I know that it is hard to get uncomfortable. It's hard to be in the profession you're in. And, you know, there's a great fear about losing people by standing up for something. But thank you for standing up for something because there is nothing wrong for there's nothing wrong with standing up for something. <laughs> yeah, no, hell yeah. And, and I'm under the impression that, you know, I am my business. So I'm a solopreneur, but I am my business. And if someone doesn't necessarily agree with my standpoint, then they just don't have to work with me. And that's fine. Maybe they're not the people that I need to work with anyways. And that's not to say that we all need to think the same things or anything like that, but there does need to be a level of acceptance and, 
and just compassion and empathy um, for me. And I think it's really important. And hopefully, you know, what I see all too often as coaches sometimes or solopreneurs, especially business owners, are sometimes scared to speak out and kind of have a voice. And I was at first too, but then I thought, well, what the, I mean, that, that was very short lived, <laughs> but you have to, you just have to be a little bit more vocal. Um, but yeah, thank you. But thank you for spending your time and coming on here. But what were we going to say? You're, you're pointing oh, one, at me. Just one more, <laughs> one more, one yeah. more. Last thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise this will be the last one. I wanted to say that I wanted to um, invite myself back on. I want to come back yes. because this yes. was lots of fun. And I want to come back after I have completed the Great Divide mountain biking route. Uh over 3,000 miles, over 200,000. Yes, you heard it. Not 20,000, not 2,000, but 200,000 um, vertical feet that I will be climbing this summer, starting in Banff, Canada, and going to Mexico, New Mexico border to bring representation that uh, black women, black women, yes, do some badass shit. And, and we are out there and we are riding bikes and I would love for you to join my Instagram page just so you can follow along with that. And Jen, please let me come back yes. and talk about it after I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Hell yes. No, I was already mentally wanting to talk about that anyways, but I was hoping to kind of document a little bit more of your adventure and things like that, especially after you're done with it. Cause I know you're putting in a load of training right now um, and just trying to get a lot of miles and things like that on your bike. But yeah, I would love to. Oh, I would love to have you back on just to kind of talk about your experience and what that was all, what that was all about, and how other people can kind of experience it for themselves if they're interested. Well, all sweet. Right, so, what's your Instagram handle, Brooke? Oh, Instagram handle is um, Brooke Gowdy. B R O O K E G O U D Y. Perfect. And I will add that to the show notes. Don't worry about that. And I'll add your sponsors and all of that stuff. So if anyone's interested in anything that we've talked about during this episode, please head to the show notes. I'll try to include as much as possible in there for you all. But Brooke, as always, it has been great having you on. And thank you for being, you know, just willing to have this conversation. Um, I think it's a really important conversation to have. And I'm really hoping it gets more people comfortable with having this conversation and really opening their eyes to the people around them. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you.